Hello everyone, hello folks, startup enthusiasts and entrepreneurs. Welcome to the 36th episode of the Startup Lender podcast. I'm Ucha and our guest today is Eric from Australia. Eric is a co-founder and CEO of Snacka, which aims to be the app for communication and collaboration online. This audio and video call app can help users connect people they want to have meaningful communication with. Before starting his startup journey, uh, actually, Eric worked in various corporations internationally, which gave him an opportunity to learn more about building products and running businesses. After leaving the corporate world, he decided to share his experiences with early stage startups and help them grow. He has guided many startup initiatives to success after that. But anyways, uh, we had a very interesting chat in this episode. We talked about his international life in Estonia, the challenges of building a startup, and the future plans of Snacka. So, enjoy! Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. Hello, Eric. Great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming uh, to the show. Uh, to get listeners up to speed, tell us about yourself, what, sure. you, what you do. Sure. So I'm Eric. Uh, Australian is a simple answer. Uh, I'm from all over the place. That's a longer story. Um, and I've been in Estonia off and on since 2010, Tallinn since 2017. And uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Snacka. Snacka is a Swedish and Norwegian word that means to talk, chit-chat, or banter, like we're kind of doing right now. Huh. Um, and so that's why we call the company Snacka, because it's an audio-video call app, which will also have other things like messaging and all those things you're used to, um, that is both privacy-friendly mm-hmm. and amazing performance. So no more compromise for, of performance for privacy. So that's what we're up to with Snacka. Wow, that's amazing. Is it already launched? It's already live. We're on Android right now. Um, by the time this recording comes out, we'll probably also be on iOS. It's finishing dev right now. Um, and then later the year, we'll hopefully have desktop and then early next year, browser as well. And then 2023, we'll be launching like B2B plans as well. So you can use it for business as well as personal. Wow. You know, it's, it's one of those things where um, if you think a lot about the apps that you have out there, the only app that was really a communication tool was Skype, Yeah. right? Now, otherwise, you have these you know, B2C apps, which are kind of like your WhatsApps, your Vibers, your Telegrams, your Signals, your yeah. Facebook Messengers of the world. And then you have those like B2B apps that are like um, you know, Zoom, yeah. uh, which has had so many security scandals. It's public information. You can look this up. Oh. Um, or you have Teams, which is kind of clunky, and nobody I talk to really likes it. They're like, it works. You know, to be fair, well, yeah. it's, it's decent. Microsoft was trying to buy Slack. They said no, so apparently that didn't happen. So then they ended up building Teams and, and uh, Salesforce bought Slack for more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of this B2B app space, right? So there's either you use it for your, yourself mm-hmm. or you have other stuff for your work. There's nothing that's really an app that, you know, unless it was Skype back then, but yeah. that never manifested into something like this that you can use for your personal and your work and it supports both of them in a meaningful and, and proper way. And that's our vision for Snacker, you know, an app that is the app for communication online. Wow, that's amazing. Can't hear, I can't wait to uh, hear more about it. But before we start talking about Snacker, mm-hmm. uh, tell us about your story. How did you 
end up in Estonia? Sure. Estonia was uh, was an interesting discovery for me. I actually first met a uh, gorgeous Estonian woman that I didn't know was Estonian. Huh. Fell in love. Uh, she moved to Australia, lived with me there for a while, and then yeah, we moved back to Estonia together, basically. So, nice. and then that's how I ended up in in Europe and in Estonia. Great. And uh, what can you tell us about your international life in Tallinn? Well, I mean, Tallinn is one of those cities that is, and I, and I say this kind of carefully. It's not quite a city because I think today a city is kind of a million people or yeah. more, right? So it's kind of like a very big town, mm -hmm. and but it's got the infrastructure of a city in a way, you know. But it's also got this coziness that a town gives you, yeah. and uh, you know, as a foreigner in Tallinn, like it's been um, like honestly, um, Tallinn has been one of the best cities to to me, like as a place to live. Uh, it's the most livable city I've kind of experienced in that sense. So yeah. Yeah, it's gonna chill, relaxed. Exactly, and, and the people, people are absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, people are great too. Nice, and yeah, we all know how vibrant startup life we have in Tallinn. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, tell us about you. Uh, how did you get into the startup world in oh. the beginning? Um, so actually, the story is I used to work in various corporates internationally. So I've worked in Australia, mostly in the financial sector. Moved to Europe, moved into the tech sector, mostly in corporate jobs. I left my corporate career in 2017 mm -hmm. and I was a senior level um, you know, exec at the company. So I, when I left, I also had some shares in the company. Uh, after a few months of having left, then you're allowed to sell the shares. So I sold those. And then I was thinking about what to do. And I always had this thing that, you know, in my 30s, I would get into business. 20s, I would work really hard, you know, get a career, go climb up the ladder, which I did successfully, thankfully. Um, you know, and I've been lucky to have had the opportunities I've had. And then basically taking that, um, the savings, everything, and I was like, okay, look, now I want to build something, but I don't just want to kind of go out there in the blind and figure it out. So I'm like, okay, what, how can I be useful to people in the startup scene? Because a lot of friends were already at this time when I was leaving that corporate job, um, they were already asking me for their startups, like, hey, we're struggling with sales. We're struggling with um, just getting users to use our product. We're struggling with X, Y, Z. And can you kind of like give us some guidance, you know, because I was in a corporate kind of like technical sales role where you had complex technologies and you had to do like this marathon sale, which would take nine to maybe 18 months, depending on the client you're dealing with. And uh, these are complex, you know, technical solutions um, and they're multi-million euro deals, right? So they were like, hey, how can we learn from that in our startup? So people were asking me that anyway. And I figured, okay, so it seems there's a lot of marketing agencies in Estonia, but there's no real kind of, you know, sales support for these companies. And maybe I could start there by helping out. And if these companies seem to be going well, maybe I'll also invest um, some of the you know, proceeds I have from the stock. So as an angel investor, nothing life-changing, just minor tickets, yeah. but you know, participate in the ecosystem. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. I was advising a few startups. I was uh, involved with Lyft 99, doing the you know, lift-up lift events um, before COVID. Oh, it was a simpler time. And yeah, I was, I was mentoring also with an accelerator down in Vilnius, a private accelerator that helps startups get from zero to one you know, and, and accelerate from there. So yeah, so that's been a very interesting experience. And through that, all of that process, I met my co-founder. And he's like, look, I'm fine to have you as an investor, but I like how you think, and you're one of the only people, this is his words, not me saying it, um, that both understands the business side, but also understands the technologies involved, especially for deep tech, which most investors don't seem to get when I talk to them. Um, and so he's like, will you be a business co-founder with me? 
And as you do, you know, you date before you get married. So we we talked for a while, long walks in Qatar, just kind of, you know, talking about our ethics towards business, our vision for the future as a business and as a company, and how we think about innovation and how we think about technology and all that. And because we really resonated on that and our own philosophical values, I figured, okay, sure, I'll do it. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So you as a person uh, who, well, you used to. You were helping startups. You were mentoring them. You were an angel investor, mm-hmm. uh, and now you're an like co-founder. You're every stage uh, startup. You have an every stage startup. What do you think are the most important factors when startups uh, are searching for investors? Mm-hmm. What should they look for? Um, if a startup is coming with that question, they're asking the wrong question. Um, it's an understandable question. Hey, I have this new widget. Or new thing, and I need to get an investor to help me make more of this new thing, so I can then start selling.、Um, hopefully, that's the impetus, not the glory of hey, I raised a X Y Z round. Like,、um, you know, there's honestly no glory in that. When you've raised money, your job gets immediately harder, and your company is not yours anymore. It belongs partly to these people who who have trusted you with their money to produce a return, and so your job ups the ante as a founder. And I think a lot of founders in this ecosystem are now learning more and more that this is a level of seriousness with which you have to treat the money that is given to you. It's worse than a loan.、Uh, a loan would be cheaper than venture money, but the reason you get you can't get a loan as a venture opportunity is they're taking a big risk on you.、Uh, so that's one thing for a founder to keep in mind if you are thinking of raising money. Like always, think from the perspective of I have to return this and so much more. And as a founder, you're the biggest investor in your business because they're buying some percentage, but you still have the lion's share, especially in the early stage. And that's as as normal. But also, you want to make sure that you produce that return for yourself and your investors. So you're serving you are multiple people as a founder. You are both your own investor. <laughs> you are also、uh, the CEO of the company who works for the board and those investors, right? So、yeah. you're serving your investors, other external ones, and yourself in that capacity. And so that's the mindset you have to come with as a founder. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, if you're thinking about raising money, first make sure you're fundable, right? How do you become fundable? That's a longer topic. This is all part of what accelerators help you do. And、uh, you know, founders, if you're struggling with this or trying to figure out how do you become fundable, like I am extremely responsive on LinkedIn. I may be delayed, but I will respond <laughs> if you're asking a valid, legitimate question in a precise and specific way.、Um, but The thing I can leave founders with if they're thinking about starting a business or they're building an early stage business and figuring out am I venture fundable, is you want to first make sure you understand the value chain in which you're operating, and there's five kind of parts to it. I won't go into all the tech, technical detail of it, but basically it's value creation,、um, which means like I don't know you invented a new way to make a widget, widget or whatever, or, or like snap you've got a new technology that allows you to send audio and video over the internet ten times faster. Um, than any other company on the planet. So you've got this, and you you can save bandwidth, like less than half the bandwidth, all that good stuff. Now it's like, okay, I have this tech. Where should I apply it, right? And but before you even think about where you apply it, the, the second thing is how do I deliver that value? So like, okay, I have this tech. Now how do I、uh, make it or package it up for you know delivering to people in different solutions? But the way you deliver is defined by how you position as a third. So there's value creation, value delivery, value positioning. Positioning is the third thing, which means、um, if I use a glass as a doorstop, that's bad positioning for the value I created. Yeah. Right. So I created something of value, 
but I'm positioning it wrong because it's just going to break when the door slams, exactly. right? Versus if I use it as a cup to drink coffee or whatever in, now I've got a higher and better use of that value, right? So you have to position things well in the market based on real problems that people have and based on understanding of what the thing is that you're doing. A classic example of something that ha potentially has value but is positioned badly, but even though the market seems to use it, that's, they're not solving the problem, yeah. is crypto. <laughs> like, you know, and I know I'm going to get crypto bros just going like totally crazy on me for saying this, but, um, you know, there's a lot of good tech out there, but it's not always positioned very intelligently. And it's simply a, a problem of technical people who um, have some understanding of the tech, but they don't understand how to position for the best market returns. And sometimes markets can be crazy too. You'll have temporary ways to make money doing a certain thing, but that doesn't mean that that is something that is really valuable in the long term. So the market in the short term is a popularity contest. You know, in the long term, it's a weighing machine. So make sure whatever you build has weight, right? So that's, that's uh, on that side. The fourth thing, so you've got value creation, value delivery, value positioning. The fourth is value perception. And this is the problem that the founders were telling me all the time. Value perception is a sales problem. Yeah. How do I get the people out there to understand the value that I'm delivering? Mm -hmm. But in order to answer that question, you have to understand what do they value and what are they trying to achieve? So for example, if somebody wants to put a picture up on the wall, they're not gonna you know, think of it as, hey, I need a drill. They're gonna first think, I want a picture on the wall. And so if you talk about putting pictures on the wall, then you sell them the drill, yeah. it's a different thing versus if you say, hey, I, you should buy a one-inch drill for me. It's like, why do I need a one-inch drill? Mm -hmm. like, so don't interrupt somebody's life and tell them to buy a one-inch drill. Explain to them you know, like the benefits, right? So, so value perception is that process of sales and marketing also does yeah. this to some extent of understanding firstly, like this is business development, understanding what customers need and want, uh, and then increasing their perception and understanding of the value that you deliver so that the transaction can happen. Basically the intent of the yeah. player. Exactly. Um, because people don't buy unless they believe yeah. that the money they spend on what they're buying is worth less to them than the thing they're buying. Mm -hmm. So if I believe that a burger I'm eating is worth more to me than the 10 bucks I might spend on the burger, then I'll buy the burger. If the 10 bucks is worth more to me, I'm not buying the burger. <laughs> I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy some stuff and make my own sandwich, right? Like, you know, because that's the, that's the consideration that people have. So the value perception affects transactions, right? So that's the other thing. And then the fifth thing, in order for you to really have a business, is value capture. So you need to be able to capture that value. And Peter Thiel talks about this as well where you have companies that, airlines, for example, they add a lot of value to the market. We can't imagine life without airplanes. Yeah. But they're always going bankrupt because their ability to value capture for the value they add is very low. And there's complex reasons for why that is, and some do better than others. But value capture is also a critical thing. And this relates to things like margins and your financials and your, you know, uh, so if you're doing something faster, cheaper, better, um, then obviously the value capture could potentially be higher than if you're doing things that are inefficient. That's why businesses are always into efficiency because that improves their value capture for what they do. Oh, that's very interesting. That's a very long way of saying, but, but these five things, value creation, value delivery, value positioning, value perception, and value capture. If you understand these deeply, and there's tons of information out there for free, um, if somebody is struggling with it, like there's information out there for free, but you need to struggle with it, 
right? You need to do the work because you can understand this in theory, but if you're really building a business, you have to apply that to your context, you have to apply that to your customer. And even Steve Jobs talks about this as well. As much as you can have great technology, you have to understand the customer first and then derive backwards to the technology and see if you're really positioning right. Yeah. So you have to have a level of empathy and willingness to go deep with a customer and build that strong relationship before you even have something to sell them to understand what their problems are. And then, then come to a product solution uh, which helps you position the value you create. True, so. true. I agree 100%. I think uh, positioning is something that is often... You know, people get it wrong. I mean, that is one of the biggest things people get wrong. And yeah. because there's so many subtle ways you can position things, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's tons of examples out there, but like when you're positioning, it's, it's almost a strategic question, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't understand how to position, let's say you're struggling with, okay, how should I position what I'm doing, right? And how do I just define my strategy? Um, you first have to start ideally with, like Steve Jobs was saying earlier, that example I gave, uh, with the business need. And the business need comes from the user need, the customer need, right? So, and sometimes customers don't know what they need. Like if you go back in the 1800s and ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse that shits less and eats less, yeah. right? Um, and it's just faster. But you, they would not have told you that they needed a car. Yeah. So you might know you can build a car, but you need to first ask people what they need anyway and not tell them what you have. You're not selling, you're understanding. And then based on what you're understanding, you're then able to say, okay, how do I now position what I do to solve the problems that people actually have, right? And so you have to kind of have a market research type of mindset. Yeah. And there's very good market research methodology guidance also online, tons of videos, tons of content. If somebody doesn't know how to find it, then learn how to Google <laughs> or DuckDuckGo if you like your privacy instead of Google um, <laughs> that is tracking you. But um, yeah, or message me. So... Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's very interesting. And this is the topic that we could uh, talk about all day. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a whole <laughs> that's, that's a whole week long course, you know, like uh, you know. <laughs> but that's a different topic. I, I might get to that. Yeah. But let's come back to your story now. Uh, you mentioned that you were a co-host at this event series called Lift Off by yeah. Lift Ninety Nine. My question is, what were the key? And you spoke to so many wonderful founders in Estonian mm -hmm. startups. Eh? What were the key takeaways from you to from being a co-host of that kind of show? It's a good question. Um, I met some brilliant people. So Martin Salo from Realize um, is one. He's the, the technical founder there. Uh, James Burdigans, the CEO and founder of Printify. Um, brilliant guy. He, he, really, yeah, he really struggled in the early days of his business and his tenacity and the level of um, attention he gives to what he's focused on is some one of the reasons I think for his success. Like he's got that perseverance that a founder really needs and that commitment to the mission yeah. um you know and uh who else uh, alan martinson who uh was one of the early investors active in the ecosystem now he's ceo of uh it used to be called leaping but now it's called zolo yeah um so alan is also a brilliant guy um so i've talked to a few of these uh you know founders or ex-founders or, or executives in the startup space and you know each of them are doing different businesses um but what's consistent is, like I was saying with James, that the commitment to the mission is critical. If you really, like, now I should temper that with sometimes you need to know when is right to give up, right? Like, one thing that I've learned from, from James, not because he said it this way, but just through example, um, is, and I've heard this from others as well, if you're running a startup, it's very easy to go down a certain road and get stuck in a rut, Right? And because you are in the context of all the things you're doing, it's hard to get your mind out of it. 
So some, for a good business founder or CEO, right, which is a very specific type of role, um, it's always su suggested, as a, it's always a good idea to think of yourself as if you were coming into this business today as a new CEO to solve all these problems, how would you approach it? Because you could have been trying, let's say, a marketing approach that isn't working, but you want to double down a little bit and really try to push it. Like, no, 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 let go, right? Presume you're coming into this business and it's a total mess right now. What would you really do? Because you don't get blamed for letting go of the previous stuff that you were believing in, right? Yeah. You know, you, you can blame the last guy, right? Even though it's you, but it's the last guy. Today, this new guy, you got to produce results. Like, how do you do it? So that's one, one kind of mindset. Uh, to keep your thinking fresh. And I do that, for example, all the time, you know, like saying, okay, look, we're doing all these things. And sometimes it's like, you know, is it really working? Or should I be rethinking this, you know? Um, but at the same time, maintaining a level of follow through on making sure you're having good data. So there's all those things. And, and a good founder, and speaking of all these people I gave examples of, they're able to deal with the multiple challenges that a business has. And sometimes multiple answers can be right to the same problem and being able to still function, <laughs> right? Yeah. That sounds easier than it actually is to do in a practical sense, because you have people with expectations, you have staff with expectations, you have investors with expectations, you've set some of those expectations and you realize that, whoops. And then you've also got multiple other things. And so how do you then, you know, turn that into a strategic move that actually moves you forward? Um, and so that ability to do that and deal with that type of chaos which is a completely founder burden, uh, is critical. And look, being a business owner is not, um, it's kind of become glamorized, yeah. right? Like I said, I worked my 20s in various corporate jobs. You know, I did the grind. You know, I rose through the ranks. I understand a little bit about different markets internationally, different technology problems all the way through to different business problems. Then I got into business the level of thinking with which I come to its business comes from all the learnings I've had from those yeah. different companies. Now, yes, people say corporates are boring and stodgy and they don't innovate. Yes and no. Okay, like to some extent. Remember, in corporates, you're already so big, so a mistake's expensive. Yeah. In a startup, you don't exist, so you need to make the mistake to be able to get there. Yeah. But don't make stupid mistakes that others have already made. Make new ones that are worth making, right? And uh, so that means not necessarily saying, oh, we're going to make mistakes, so let's just do a bad job anyway. No, no, no. It means do a freaking amazing job, but be tolerant when mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. It's a different thing to, oh, fail fast. You know, it became just don't even make a plan. Let's just, you know, just go, for it. go for it. YOLO, right? Like, so that's going to actually hurt you. It's going to hurt your team. It's going to hurt your investors. So don't do that. It's going to hurt yourself. You know, and the people around you. So startups are not something for the faint-hearted. Don't go at it just because you want the glory of putting founder on your profile. Honestly, um, most of them go nowhere yeah. because people think of it for that that kind of ego reason rather than hey, what am I really doing? There's a real problem out there I want to solve, and I think it matters, and that's what's going to give you commitment to the mission. Yeah. Right. And it's it's like going into a battle, going into a war. You're going to hear bombs, you know, dropping around you. Um, if you don't have commitment to the mission, you're going to go hide in a hole. Yeah. You're not going into the battle. So if you're not willing to do that, don't become a founder. Go get a job. Go get a good job. Work your way up. Add value. You know, be entrepreneurial before you're entrepreneurial. Yeah. Right? Do the entrepreneurial mindset within the context of a company to learn and give yourself the time. Because guess what? The time's going to pass anyway. You know? So unless you really have a strong value proposition, right, for the market, 
yeah. maybe consider figuring out how to build something first, you know, working with others. There's a lot to be said for learning and I think it's underrated. Um, but I think the ones who learn like that will be the strongest founders of the future. Exactly, yeah, I agree 100%. And we live in times when you can build anything online right now. Like you don't, you don't need as many resources as you would need uh, 10 years ago. So maybe sure. you could start with something like very small and start building for yourself. Sure. And then, you know. So th this goes back to value proposition and value positioning. And in order to do this well, you have to be able to think strategically. So just a bit of backstory. Um, I was one of the youngest students of a chess grandmaster when I used to live in Malaysia as a kid. Um, and chess taught me so much when it comes to business strategy as well. Um, and some, some of the things that to me come pretty obviously, I realize even in corporate situations, a lot of executives don't see, they just don't have the vision to see these things. Um, going back to your question though, and why I brought this up as an example is, it's so easy to start a business online. In theory, yes, it's easy to start a business online and you could have a successful business, yeah. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a startup. Yes, exactly, right? that's what I mean. And so um, to do a startup, it's not necessarily as easy as starting a business online. So let's, let's clarify the definition here. A business is, is a thing you do that you can do consistently and you can make money, preferably profit uh, over a period of time and you could have a decent lifestyle as well. It'll grow at some sort of rate depending on the market and various other things. A startup is a phase of a business. Yeah. It is not a business, not a thing. There's no such thing as a startup. It's a business going through a specific phase that qualifies it as a startup. What is that phase? It's a phase of growth or the potential for growth. From when you start at zero, obviously, you know, um, the potential for growth that is beyond ideally 7% week over week and 20% month over month. Yeah. Okay. So that is what a startup should be able to achieve. So either you have a business that could achieve that Right? So that when you have a very, very early stage investor as an angel or whatever, what I would think is, can this business potentially achieve that type of growth rate? And so I will take the risk of investing so they could get there, mm -hmm. right? So what James Burdigans was building at Printify is a classic example. Yeah. What they're doing at Realize, Martin Zeller, that's an example, right? Uh, what we're doing at Snacker, that's what we're trying to build. We're trying to build a business that can scale at that rate or better. Right? And also in the long term, make a profit, preferably. Right? Uh, now it's much more important, and with Snackout we definitely will be, like we're designing it that way. Um, but these are, these are the things, right? And a startup, um, it requires not only really that rate of growth, to, to be able to get that growth, you have to do things that many others aren't doing in ways they probably aren't doing. And even if you're doing things that others are doing, then you have to be faster, cheaper, better than the other guy in a meaningful quantity. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, if um, let's put it this way, if if you're doing, let's say, delivery of food to people. Right. Uh, New York is a classic example. They're now they were first like one hour delivery startups. Then there were 30 minute delivery startups. Then that 15 minute delivery startup. It's like it gets to a point where it's like how many milliseconds in which do you want your pizza? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So so at some point, the, the faster doesn't necessarily matter. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're doing it so fast, where you're spending so much money to achieve that speed, but the user doesn't want to pay that. It's not worth that much. I'll wait the extra 15 minutes. I don't want to pay like 20 bucks. I'd rather pay five bucks. You know, there's a certain sweet spot. So faster, cheaper, better is in ratio yeah, yeah. to qualify that. And better, what is better? Well, better depends on what you're doing, right? So is it better pizzas? Is it better selection? Like 
all that other stuff. Amazon's a good company that really understands this, right? They don't have great UX UI. They don't have a beautifully designed web page. Uh, I'm sure you could, like, even a novice UX designer could do a better designed, beautified web page for Amazon, but it's faster, it's cheaper, and it's better. Yeah. And that's why people use it. And that's why they're a multi-billion dollar company and your startup that could look prettier might not be, right? So, so a lot of founders, like, for example, I've seen pitches where founders will say, like, oh, yeah, you know, we're better because we have, like, better UX and UI. I'm like, is it really better? Yeah. Um, Amazon doesn't look pretty. But it's very practical for what I'm trying to achieve. And so the user obviously doesn't care about pretty, they care about practical when they're shopping online. Yeah, they're getting positioning. Yeah. Right? But, but that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a positioning thing. That's correct. It's also a product. And this is what a product manager would think about, right? They have to be sensitive to the perception side. Um, they have to be sensitive to the delivery side, but they also have to be sensitive to the positioning of the strategy. And that has to come from a founder. A founder has to define the strategy of the business, right? Uh, and strategy does not mean planning, <laughs> but that's a different topic. Um, strategy means like how you are exactly positioning and why you will win. Mm -hmm. Planning is then how you will take that to win, right? And what are the steps to get there? So that's the yeah. difference between strategy and planning. But yeah, these are things that I, I hope founders will learn and, and when they pitch or when they present or when they, before all those things, when they design their business, they'll be thinking about these things. Interesting, yeah, yeah, and there, there's definitely like uh, so many misconceptions mm -hmm. uh, on this market. Oh, completely. Yeah, pe yeah, people just, for example, in my example, my uh, initiative is called Startup Adventures. Mm -hmm. It's an online business where I just interview startups and produce content like that. It's not a. St I never said it's a startup, but people always ask me how's your startup doing. <laughs> like it's a, it's not. It's about startups. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm a creator. I'm not yeah. a, you know. Exactly. And you farmer. could you could theoretically as a creator grow in popularity. Exactly. That's but that's I mean. a different game to what you're playing, exactly. right? You're playing a game of I'm passionate about a subject matter. I'm interested in the subject matter. And I can maybe make something out of it, maybe not, but either way I want to pursue it. There's tons of honor in doing that. Just don't go to a VC and ask for capital, yeah. right? Or an angel investor, you know? Um, so that's the difference, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, a startup is a very specific thing. Yeah, but that's absolutely right. Yeah, nice. And speaking of startups, let's come back to Snacker. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, you in the beginning, you briefly said, what is it? But um, yeah, tell us more about the mission of the company. Sure. Um, the way I've articulated it recently, because I'm, I'm also not just CEO, but I'm also wearing the product manager hat right now. But if somebody out there is a brilliant product manager, talk to me, I want to hire you if you're really that good. The key criteria is to be at least equivalent or better than me. And that's not hard, by the way, because I am not an amazing product manager. I know some great ones, but yeah, anyway. Um, but anyway, so basically what, what our mission uh, for the company is, is to be the app for communication online. And our product is the product that is going to enable you to have meaningful and intentional communication and collaboration. Mm -hmm. Meaningful and intentional communication and collaboration. That's our core thing. Um, yes, we deliver, we deliver that with a product that is privacy friendly. So it respects your privacy. It's so secure that if somebody came to my office and put a gun to my head and said, you know, hack your stream, I'm like, I can't if I wanted to. So I'm going to die some help, <laughs> you know, but, but it's that secure. It's also performing well. So it allows you to have a meaningful conversation. And when I say meaningful, like here's the thing, I, I, I like reading research papers, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and so I, I read this thing by some neuroscientists and psychologists. They did, they did a study during the COVID time um, of people who were doing video calls online. And when you listen to um, people online, there's, there's a slight lag between the conversation. It, it's work, it's nothing like terrible, right? You can still have a great conversation. But if you haven't noticed, I've been a salesperson. And so when I, if I've been in days where I've had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting in person, and it's tiring, but when I've had Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call, it's more tiring. Yeah. And that's something that the neuroscience actually backs up. Because when you have this level of performance issues that a lot of these apps have, that you don't notice because it's not sufficiently noticeable in that sense, unless you see better. Mm -hmm. It's like you don't think dial-up's a problem until you go to broadband, right? Um, but basically, like, what that causes is your brain is doing extra work. Like right now, you and I are across the table from each other. So when you say something, my facial response gives you good information on how I feel and how I'm reacting to you. Same way with your reaction to me. When you have a 200 millisecond latency on a video and audio call, which is a pretty common thing to have, um, you'll still have the conversation, but your brain's doing extra work. And yeah. that's what drains your energy. And you actually end up feeling more isolated and more alone than you did if you would have had that conversation with lower lag. So that's one thing that you know, Snacker has in there. It's just this natural you know, like ability to give you extremely good performance with the privacy that you deserve and respect. Like, I think we should respect our customers uh, and people who use our products, not, um, you know, like uh, hack the data like some companies have been caught out to do and they've paid millions in fines for it and they still aren't necessarily the best. So, <clears throat> but yes, um, you know, so that's, that's basically it. So we, we as a company are um, very passionate about that, um, you know, showing the customers respect, both through the way we design our product experience, but also in, in a practical way in the tech perspective. So, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah actually, um, most of my podcast episodes, uh, I recorded with Zoom. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I mean, training so much. How <laughs> do I just need to take a nap or something, you know? Yeah, and, and it's also like one of those things where, um, you know, they've done a good job as a company, you know, credit where credit is due, compared to the WebEx of the world. And that's why so many people use Zoom. Yeah. You know, WebEx was a clunky product experience. The tech is not necessarily better, fundamentally, but the product experience was better. Yeah. At Snacka, our tech is fundamentally better. Our privacy is fundamentally better. And in time, mm -hmm. our product will get fundamentally better. You know, we're very MVP right now. But yeah, we'll get yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, that's, wait, that's cool. Can't wait, to be honest, <laughs> to, <laughs> to test it. All right, but uh, yeah, let's talk about startup life again um, mm -hmm. in Snaka. Uh, uh, so what are the biggest challenges for you as one mm. of the co-founders to build something like this from scratch? Biggest challenges. That's, that's a hard one. Uh, there's a lot of them. Um, Let's say three. <laughs> I, I think the biggest one, obviously, um, and this is maybe a suggestion, there's different types of startups, and I'll just clarify my answer with giving this context. Um, there's different types of startups. There's like, in, in the tech space specifically, right? So in tech, there's, if you think about your regular software as a service company, right? Like, a, let's say Pipedrive, yeah. a CRM company, or, you know, like um, any legal tech or FinTech or whatever, like, you know, TransferWise or Wise as they're called now. Um, fundamentally, they're putting screens on databases for workflows or analytics. Mm -hmm. That's it. Name one SaaS company that isn't fundamentally doing this. Nobody can do it because 99% are doing that. Now, some of them will be also doing some AI R&D, 
So maybe they're doing a new way of doing AI. Maybe they're putting, like, you know, those are deep tech companies, right? So those regular companies, they're putting screens on databases for workforce analytics. They're basically taking Lego blocks and they're building buildings. Mm -hmm. There's tons of innovation in that too, don't get me wrong. And you can have a successful business doing that. But we're the type of company, because we have a new way of sending audio and video on the internet that allows us to be secure and do all this great stuff we do, um, we're doing a custom Lego block in a way, yeah. right? And so if you think about it, the so-called Lego block, the method of sending audio and video on the internet that is used by Zoom and Google and Microsoft and Skype as well, for example, and all these other companies out there, it's the same thing. It's something called WebRTC, which is just, it's just a way to send audio and video on the internet. It's a ba basket of pro different protocols and, and sets, and you can optimize around it, but basically it's that. Um, and we're doing something completely new. Mm -hmm. And so that gives us the advantage we have. When you're doing stuff like this, there's no documentation. You're, you know, there's nothing on Stack Overflow or yeah. these types of yeah. like places where developers look for guidance. Um, the regular developers that are used to taking stuff from some API and showing it in a UI, in a user interface, is uh, fine for them what they do, but you're not going to be able to build a high-performance app like Snacker. So finding the types of talent that can do the stuff that we do, that's pretty tough. I mean, we've been pretty like good about finding certain people. Like we even have like an ex NASA, ex Google guy who's working with us. Um, you know, my co-founders. You know, obviously like that level of developer. But finding these this type of talent is pretty tough. Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges. And then um, it's almost it's almost easier to get a junior person and foster their talent to work this way, so they don't learn the bad habits that a yeah. lot of people learn in in the dev space these days. A lot of people call themselves a developer. But there's a big difference in software development in, in terms of skill set and competencies. Um, and so, for example, like there's also a difference between coding and programming that most people don't understand. Coding is basically like bricklaying. You're, you're taking the pieces and putting it together. Yeah. Programming is really like you know, building the brick. You know, it's a different uh, mindset. But anyway, so yeah, finding that people, I think that's one of the biggest challenge. Um, but we've also been able to solve it pretty well because the good thing is people like that love working on stuff like we work on. Yeah. So they tend to find us also, which is yeah, kind of nice. It's more interesting. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, being present in the right places for brilliant people like that to discover us is what we're trying to do more and more. Um, the other kind of, I guess, bigger challenge is the biggest waste of time, but necessary expense of time is fundraising as a founder. Um, like I, I love building relationships with people who like to look at, you know, the future and what's coming and invest in that and be part of it. Uh, and you meet some amazing people when you fundraise. You also meet a lot of people that you just like, I would never invite you to a dinner party. <laughs> but, you know, and so we've we've actually been very selective as a, as a yeah. founding team where we're happy to reject money that comes from an investor we feel that, you know, we don't really feel that they're a good fit for us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like I said, I worked in my 20s to save up before I started a business. Why? Because it gives me the flexibility to say no to the wrong investor yeah. and work with the types of people who understand where we're going and support that. Like at Snacka, we have this mission, right? We, we are going to be an extremely profitable company in the long term. That's the way I'm designing this business. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do that and make that profit by serving people really well out of respect. And we're not going to compromise that ethics just for profit, like some companies have done, yeah. without mentioning more names. But, um, and we have investors who also see that opportunity and who see what we're doing and say like, hey, I would love this product for myself too. So like our lead investor for Snacka, for example, in our last funding round, he's a cybersecurity expert, absolutely brilliant guy. 
Um, we have people, you know, in our round who have experience in cloud technologies and done stuff for like the UN and, you know, like, uh, you know, various cloud data centers. Um, so we have people who are absolutely like, you know, they understand the tech, they're smart money basically, right? That's the types of people who we've got on board. And we're very happy for that. So we would rather, you know, get those types of investors, work with them, they become brilliant sounding boards and advisors. And to founders, like if you're fundraising, pick them carefully. I know you need the money, but don't sell your soul. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, there are good people out there. And if they give you a no, it's because of, maybe it's nothing to do with you. Maybe it's just not investing or whatever. But um, if you're doing a really good business and you're on the right track, the right people will fund you. So, you know, figure out if it's maybe you need to go back to the drawing board or are you, you know, uh, is what, where is the actual problem? Because usually if you're doing something good, you'll find smart people like this. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, you are fundamentally building something. Yeah. People will come themselves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Themselves. And if you're building deep tech, like come to me, I will help you. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Like, if yeah. you're really doing solid deep tech, um, the European investment community, sadly, has been asleep at the wheel for more than a decade on this. Yeah. There's few funds that do invest in deep tech. There's few angels who kind of understand it. Um, most don't really. Most, if they say it, they say it because they want the power that deep tech has, but they don't understand the responsibility after, you know, to kind of get the great power comes great responsibility quote, but um, they don't really understand what it takes to, to foster these companies. And, you know, like that's the kind of thing that the US has done better than Europe. I would love to see Europe do it better. I would love to see the Baltics do it better. I would love to see Estonia do it better yeah. too. But, um, you know, yeah, that's, that's currently not the case. And so hopefully that will change in time. And I'm definitely doing the little bits I can to try to help that change. Yeah. So, yeah. And speaking of future, uh, what are your What can you tell us about the future plans of Snaker? Well, Snaka, um, so like I mentioned, we're on Android. iOS is coming uh, very, very soon. Basically, like in the next couple of weeks, it'll be live. Um, we have desktop versions of the app coming. We'll have browser. We're trying to get to a stage where we are cross-platform like this. Mm -hmm. Once we are cross-platform, then we want to kind of you know, figure out, okay, what are the features, functionalities we need to do to really serve our users in the best way possible, um, to make it something even valuable for our B2B users, our, our business customers to use, where they get that same grade of privacy, whether you're a free or a business user, but business users have different needs. Like you want to maybe do a webinar, you want recording functionalities, you want a bit more control in certain things, which, you know, if we're just talking as friends, like we don't need all that, you know, yeah. like we don't need the Maserati, right? The Volvo is fine. Um, but still, it's a better Volvo <laughs> than the existing stuff. So that's kind of what we're, we're thinking a lot about. Um, and like in the long term, yeah, the future is we, we see that um, as people will get used to using apps like this, um, that they'll have those more meaningful, natural conversations because you're not worried about working the product. You're worried about building the connection to the other human being on the other side, yeah. right? Right now with our current apps, you're too busy working the product. Hey, can you hear me? Like, you know, these types of things. And so for us, it's like, no, you know, the product is going to take care of all that. You just build a connection with yeah. that human being because that's what it's about. We're trying to communicate. We're trying to build a relationship. Like, that's what it's about. So, you know, Snacker is the app that's going to serve you to be able to achieve that. And if I'll be able to start my call without saying, can you hear me? <laughs> we say, can you hear me more than hello, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at Snacker, yeah. we're like, less can you hear me, more hello. More hello. That's hello. it. Great yeah. catchphrase. I mean, you know, look, there's nothing like a hug in person. Right? Yeah. But for everything else, this that's what we say. <laughs> so, yeah. Very interesting. All right, but kind of to come back to your uh, story now. Mm -hmm. 
And your international life in Estonia. This is the question we ask everybody. Uh, what are the things you love and hate about living in Estonia as an international? Oh, um, look, no place is perfect. Every place has its pros and cons. If there's a place on the planet that would raise kids, Estonia, no doubt about it. Um, and I'm saying this as someone who's grown up in multiple countries, um, seen different education systems. I have cousins in other countries as well. I've really looked into it. Estonia is it. Like for education, you know, just the environment for education around it and the quality of the standard that it has. Um, that's why. So I'm personally in the longer term optimizing for that. Um, there's definitely negatives. Um, I, Estonia sells itself as a very innovative country and it is. You know, like uh, when Sim Kalas, when they were forming the government here in Estonia, like way back when in the 1990s, they were like, hey, we can learn from what's working in other countries, but we can also do it our own way. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like a kind of screw it, just do it type of attitude, right? And I mean, Estonia is using the blockchain-based identity system before crypto was crazy. Like our whole thing is on the X road, which is a, a blockchain fundamentally, just used in a, in a government context. Um, Estonia is very leading edge in that sense. However, there are certain areas of the Estonian economy um, that have kind of maybe taken too much um, influence from broader European and Scandinavian approaches of doing things when, for example, the financial system. Estonia, I used to work in the financial world in Australia. And honestly, Australia's financial system, when it comes to the ability of people to individually control and determine how their pensions are managed, uh, is much superior to pretty much any other country on the planet. Australia leads in this. Um, Estonia is way behind. Okay. Like your, your pension fund in Estonia is like shirt sizes, S, M, L, XL. If you really look at where the money goes, it's the same stuff. I was going to use a colorful word, but it's the same stuff that they invest in, just different ratios. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these Estonian banks are not investing in the stocks directly. It's not like they have some brilliant person who's allocating capital in an intelligent way for you. Though they're doing some level of thinking, don't get me wrong, I'm not totally knocking them. They, they are smart people, but the, the way it's designed is they are basically investing their fund into other managed funds, other fund managers. And if you understand how fees work in these funds, you're actually paying fees on fees on fees. Mm -hmm. Your actual returns are kind of subpar. Um, but again, that's a different topic. I, whether or not those fund managers are good or whether the fees are right, aligned or not, I personally believe that, that as an individual, if I want to control where my pension money, my hard-earned cash that's going into the retirement funds are going, I should be able to determine that. Now, of course, don't take it out necessarily, like make people save for the future. Fine, I can get on board with that. Australia has like a 12% pension rate, which is higher than Estonia's, which I think is very high. Yeah. Um, but, you know, however, however that would work out, um, like, I don't think it should be that high, by the way, for the record. <laughs> but, um, you know, you should be able to voluntarily contribute more and save tax, maybe. Like, but it shouldn't be mandatory that high. Um, but the thing is, you should have the control. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, you might say, what if some silly person wants to go YOLO on the next crypto crap coin? Um, well, don't enable crypto, but at least stocks. Yeah. You know, like stocks on the stock market or like real estate funds or various other managed funds. If, if I'm going to go into managed funds anyway, then why have a fund manager select other managed funds when I can just select them myself? Mm -hmm. Right? Like there's tons of funds like, you know, Vanguard funds or whatever. Yeah. It's not investment advice, but, you know, like people should be able to get involved in their own retirement planning because it encourages people to think about the future. And just that practice makes people invest in general in their own lives more intelligently. 
And that's something that is lacking. And for example, and this is one example. There's other things that the government and the financial regulation system could be a lot better. For example, in the fintech space, the UK has like a regulatory sandbox. Okay. Um, Lithuania has also done a really good job with, you know, like the, the Central Bank of Lithuania kind of supports fintech companies who want to maybe innovate in a different way. There's no real kind of sandbox model in it, done, in, done in a really good way in Estonia. I'd love to see that change. There's a lot of things. Um, that's just on one side. On the other side, you know, like I think um, Estonia also has a little bit of a vibe of starting to rest on its laurels. There was a bunch of people in the 90s and early 2000s who got Estonia to where it is. You know, they built the Skypes of the world. Yeah. You know, they built all this. Um, and it's kind of like America that kind of said, oh, we're the best. And the moment they started shouting that, they started going downhill. I, I kind of worry if Estonia is showing a few signs of this. I don't think it's a big problem right now. But I worry that there are some signs and I hope that, the, you know, they still remember the value of freedom, yeah. the value of fierce independence, the value of not expecting the government to do things for you, but solving problems, you know, and that's why you have such a good entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, but basically, yeah, hopefully that's going to sustain for the long term rather than, um, you know, change in, in an American way. Um, but yeah, that's that's the good, bad and the ugly for now that I'm willing to talk about publicly. Uh, also, so. Another very interesting answer. Yeah. And finally, uh, since we're talking to um, international students who want to um, know more about the startup world, mm -hmm. what would be your advice to all the people who want to get into the startup field um, and maybe that they have their ideas and they want to start their careers in the startup domain? If you have an idea, look up who else is solving that general problem. Go work for them for a while. Because ideas themselves are useless um, if you're not doing deep tech if you're doing deep tech and something on the R&D side then sure keep it very private for a while right careful who you work with because NDAs and non-competes might block you from doing it later if you solve the problem right so there's there's considerations um, but if you're talking about a business idea not necessarily a, a new tech thing then um, there's probably somebody doing it if there's not somebody doing it there's probably a reason probably a very good reason it could be a technical reason. So for example, like why isn't somebody doing highly secure audio video calls like Snacker? Well, they didn't solve the performance problem. There's a technical reason they're not doing it. So you could try to solve the technical problem. Like there's a free app on the internet called Jitsi, which you can use for secure conversations as somewhat secure. There's still some challenges, but in general, it's very good. Um, but the performance is not good. At Snacka, we solved that problem, and that's why we can deliver privacy with performance, right? So, so unless, you know, like if you, if you just have a business idea because, hey, there's no this, then why not do this? Then really kind of come at it with an investigator, detective type of mindset and really try to understand the domain space, the problem space. Um, so that's the first thing. And generally, if you do that in, a, in an intelligent way rather than be hung up on your idea and be willing to kill your idea if you realize that it's a bad idea or that it doesn't have a good solution, um, the other thing you could do is also just work in a startup that is inspiring to you. Um, you know, like, and, and look, at the end of the day, I can tell you the number of business ideas I can come up with in, in a 20-minute conversation. Like, I could not in a lifetime do all of them. So if you have an idea you're really passionate about, it's a pure business idea, you don't have necessarily any tech for it or whatever, go work with someone solving that closely and implement that in the best way you can with that company. And you will get promoted as a result. You'll probably end up getting stock options. If the company goes well, then hey, 
Yes, you don't have the lion's share of it, but you got some benefit out of it. Then go do your next thing. Trust me, by the time that happens, you'll have so many more ideas and you also will have money <laughs> versus, you know, trying to do it stubbornly, right? When you don't really have some real fundamental hard tech or something, you know, does that mean you shouldn't necessarily do it as a business? No, maybe you actually can execute on it faster, cheaper, better in a real value creation way, in a real value positioned way. And maybe you could be the next whatever large company, right? But uh, be very serious about that and give yourself like deadlines as well, for example, because nothing, you know, pushes you to under, like a deadline, right? Exactly. So give yourself a deadline. Say, look, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to investigate this. But if I can't solve these problems in a meaningful way by X point, I'm going to join certain companies and um, still solve the problem, right? So, yeah. So if you care about the problem being solved in the world, rather than you getting the glory for doing the thing, then you're on the right track. If you care about your glory, then go get a corporate job, work your hustle up, you'll get tons of glory for being a senior level exec, whether you innovate or not, <laughs> right? In certain places. Um, so, you know, it's a different thing. So figure out what you really want. Um, and that's not that easy to do because you have to be very serious with yourself. Yeah. You know, it's um, being in business and being in startups or just solving major problems in the world it's a very humbling process. Like you're not gonna, like I sound very confident and self-assured, but that's because I've, I've been hit by a hammer so many times that I know what's left is solid, right? And if, you know, somebody challenged me on something, I would be like, yeah, hit me with that hammer and see if, if it's old, if it's not right, I want to change direction because I don't want to be doing something stupidly for the rest of my life. So that's the, that's the thing. Um, most founders aren't willing to go through that process because it's painful. Yeah. Um, and that's why they struggle and they waste time. So don't do that to yourself. You're worth a lot more as a human being um, and think very deeply about what it is you're trying to do. And if you are doing something brilliant, like people like me and other founders are actually very willing to help. Um, if you've gone through some of that beating yourself and then you come with the level of, okay, I've really done this thinking, I've really done this testing, I really kind of feel solid about this, please hit me, <laughs> right? And then, yeah, that's, that's what we're here for, so. Very interesting. Uh, well, thank you. I swear much. I'm not a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you have to be somewhat of, uh, of that to uh, be in startups. But anyway. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, again, uh, well, thank you very much for being thank our you. guest today. Uh, I think um, it was very valuable what you said. Cool. <laughs> Hopefully it helps people. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!